0: Good afternoon. Hope you're well. Hope you're joining. Hope you can hear me. All the usual hopes. I did a show on Monday, my first back after a week off. I think that's the first week, full week I've managed to have off tuning it over, although we had a little bit of a break at Christmas time, uh, but really enjoyed being back and talking with you, especially because we didn't have a guest on. And it got me to thinking that often these things are like, well, what should we talk about today? And I'm trying to feel the pulse of what's hot in in our industry and having had a week off I was a bit rusty and so it was kind of like right let's just talk about what's been on my mind and you, you guys seem to respond fairly well to that so I did the same and applied the same theme today and realized that I wanted to do something clinical so I was like right what body part we're going to do talk about what condition and I realized one of the things that's been very much on my mind clinically is that we ended up doing a podcast with Tonya Vincent who's a professor studying your rheumato clinical and oh, sorry she's a, a research rheumatologist and uh, academic rheumatologist. And she was talking about OA and, and the latest and greatest in that. And she was on the last Physio Matters podcast and it ended up being quite controversial because of what she came and said. Um, now, she'd been uh, on a podcast, uh, a different podcast, um, uh, and we'd spotted that via Jack March, who's obviously the rheumatology physio and, and uh, key, my, my partner in crime when it comes to this stuff. And so, He'd noticed that and and said, look, it's game-changing stuff. Some of this research really throws off some of the heuristics of which we've been relying on in the the, uh, contemporary practice or what we thought was contemporary practice. And so we then got her on PhysioMatters. Now, some of that got tidied up, but not all of it. You know, it still begged a lot of questions. And so the audience noticed that too. Jim did a brilliant um, interview with her uh, and, and brought a lot of that stuff to the fore. So I was going to talk about that and just talk about my own musings in that direction. Uh, and I know many of you have, uh, have been feeling a bit confused and conflicted and frustrated and, and want to challenge some of it and want to challenge us on it. Um, and that's what uh, this is all about, and what it's for. If you haven't listened to Physio Matter, the last Physio Matters podcast yet, then I disown you. I disavow that behaviour, and I, I can't I can't stand for it, and it won't be abided round here. So unfortunately, no, you need to vacate this live stream, go and listen to it, and repent, and you will regret it. So uh, yeah, no no uh, no excuses. Uh, but if you uh, if you have, then you'll know exactly what I'm on about. It's a bloody confusing one. Um, now I then about three minutes ago. I then send a text with the titles of what I'd planned for this and uh, and and sent it to Jim, who's literally just been teaching one of his rheumatology courses, uh, with a uh, fishing bait emoji saying, I'm talking about this, and sent him the guest link. And uh, even though he's a busy man and has other things to do, but if ever there was a topic for him to join me on at a moment's notice... It's this one, <laughs> and so he's like, "Fine, I'm, I'll join." Um, Jim, bit of a bit of a fraught one, this, isn't it? Like, how are you feeling about the whole OA News situation? How much did it rock your world, and 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 have you managed to find your feet again?
1: Yeah, I think um, as I've thought about it over the last few weeks, because obviously I did, I did the interview a few weeks before it it then aired, so I've had a bit more time than everybody else to sort of digest it as well. Um, and I think you know, a lot of it is is really fascinating. You have to take it with the caveat of um, that a lot of the research that was talked about in the podcast was in um, was in mice studies rather than human studies, uh, human joints. So there are some differences there. Um, so we do need to take that. And 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 a lot of what um, Professor Vincent was talking about, we can't really do a lot about clinically because we can't measure it. So I think it's something we need to keep on top of. We need to understand the research that's coming out. But actually, does it change what we're doing at the moment? No, I don't think it does. Because you know, if we take the she was talking about shear forces for example, which you know, before we, me and you have talked about it, we might call them micro movements or however we might term them. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't measure them. So how do we know that our our interventions are impacting on them? If someone has the sheer, those shear forces, how do we know someone has inappropriate shear forces? And we know that we're given all of the other research we've ever seen in humans, there's going to be a variation on what can be. So one human will tolerate a huge amount of shear forces and never get OA, and another human will to- tolerate a small amount. So what's the variation? And it, there's so many unanswered questions about them. I just think we just need to know that it exists, the research, and keep on top of it until such time we can start using it clinically.
0: What do you think, what what does it leave in play and what does it blow wide open? So I want to just give a couple of examples that I'm still wrestling with. Like we, it had been contentious to say wear and tear because it was then seen as being, well, no, it's, 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 it's just that the mechanical load forces are somewhat, Irrelevant, wholly irrelevant, or less relevant, or you know, not relevant enough to use that sort of terminology. Um, is that is that something that's still in play? Um, is it still known to be more more genetic and bad luck than it is sort of um, use? Um, you know, where where what the what what sort of stands from what we thought. Even a few months ago, but you know, between me and you, I don't mean the royal we. I mean what we we thought was contemporary practice, and what we would, you know, we. I think back, admittedly, for me, a few months back, I would probably I wouldn't have vilified, but I'd certainly think that someone was thought that someone was behind the times if they were suggesting that essentially just the torsional forces at the knee were the thing that was rubbing the cartilage down over time. The more you've done that over the course of your life, that's the cause of narrow cause of OA. Now, I still, from what I gather. I don't think that's all the way back in, but it's certainly like it's begging that question again. Where's where are we at? Yeah, I I think this is one of those cases where it's accidentally correct. So
1: they've it, they've they've done they've gone they someone's gone uh, if they're saying wear and tear they're they're adding two and two and making nine and nine is actually the correct answer, um, but the the reasoning process for getting there is incorrect. So my understanding from the from that podcast was. So if we take it, you know, we really simplify down what we mean by wear and tear, which would be literally your knee is like a car tire. And the more you use it, the more that cartilage rubs away, um, as would happen with a car tire. And even you could extend that analogy that if you did loads of sideways sliding on a car tire, like a shear force, it would rub away more quickly. Um then the outcome is the same as what we're talking about, where you get cartilage thinning and poorer cartilage quality. But I still, I don't think that's the mechanism at play. So understanding what's trying to understand what Professor Vincent was saying is that these different types of forces generate different reactions within the cartilage. So you, as if you would have a, a positive influence through loading and a negative influence through loading, with the way that these um, these gene triggers are turned on and off, and what that means for um, chondrocyte um, um, activity, etc. So these these right. shear forces aren't triggering the um, aren't triggering the chondrocytes to behave appropriately, whereas whereas for one of a better term, more um uh direct direct loading loading. yeah would trigger them so rather than rather than it being and i i tried to get across what i was thinking about this as on the fly um and i bet that came across was my brain going at ten thousand miles an hour during the podcast was rather than thinking it like an active wearing away it's more of a lack of restoration so a bit like we would think about sort of in um i would term it like osteoporosis in osteoporosis you don't have an active usually outside of some other thing you don't have an active bone loss you have a loss of restoration of bone turnover so you you turn over this much bone you replace it with this much um, and therefore you end up with less bone uh, mass and i think that's a better way of thinking about it rather than an active use and reduction so but then that does leave some unanswered questions to me as in so is it purely you know how is if if you if you're doing the appropriate loading but then the shimshia what's that doing um and how is that?
0: could be somewhere but it could be something it could be something in between couldn't it like what what the predominant it's not going to be a binary but we we to see if you are right with this analogy, not on a mechanistic level with regards to chondrocytes, I don't. I don't think this would apply anywhere near the same degree. But we are kind of comfortable with the logic that occurs within tendons. Like if you were to just have like. If you just to do do lots of lots of sprinting, lots of plyometric work, and going really fast, particularly what we've come to know and what Seth O'Neill speaks well on is this notion of which if your musculature isn't strong enough to be obviously supportive and shielding of the tendon, therefore it will that you'll get this uh, locking on cramping style effect on a micro level of say a, a calf musculature, and then the tendon has to do all that work, especially if the muscle's not not tolerating it. That's a mechanical force going through the tendon that can be deleterious to both its structure and function and it's and it's therefore you know plus or minus symptoms. But then equally slow heavy loading, we've kind of come to know the mechanism of, of response there is is you know contentious. Um but we accept that both our loads and one can be detrimental, one can be hopefully helpful. Are we in is that does that analogy carry to where your head's at with, with OA?
1: I think it does. And it also gives, you know, when we talk about the other things that would lead to joint instability and as a proxy, therefore more instability, like ACL ruptures, we know the huge burden of osteoarthritis once you have an ACL rupture, um, meniscal tears, those kinds of things. I think that carries as well. Um, it, And then you've got added on top of that, we've got then the systemic factors. And this is where I think I was going wrong. I was going too far down. The rabbit hole of systemic factors and going—it's all systemic—and um, the factors are all whether you're over, um, you're overweight, smoke, eat poorly, um, and and far less around any mechanical loading because we know that there are people with radiographic osteoarthritis with sy- no symptoms. And I don't think I got a satisfactory answer in the end from out of Professor Vincent. And I don't know if it's ne- it's not her area of expertise. In all fairness, um, to to go asking those that down that route. Um, and and I think because of that I went too far and I started to ignore some of these the potential mechanistic mechanistic effects because as we as we found out it's damn complicated (laughs) and you know a lot of the things that she mentioned are things that have not come onto my radar from a biological effect I didn't know a lot of those things occurred or even existed um, at the time which is why my brain was going so i think that brings in the mechanical effects and but like i say i don't what do we do with that information i don't know um at the moment as and it's difficult yeah
0: do you think it's um because it, there's a few reasons i can think of as to why you and and many of us would have moved more down that systemic effect but particularly for you as said rheumatology physio you can you can you can understand why i mean you i'd never i, I thought that Couple of years ago, you would have been someone I expected to go down this route of OA just being an extension of RA, like this this narrative that emerged. It was sort of a low-grade version of it. And if we studied it far enough, you'd find blood-based markers. You'd also recognize that DMARDs and other corrective med- medicines could could do that. Uh, you were never convinced of that, even. And obviously, then you've been sort of justified in that hesitancy because the studies have never <laughs> borne good fruit there. But, but also it makes sense for you to see it as being more systemic in part because we know about adabakind you've written extensively on that we know about the fact that and this is what what's contentious for me is she was saying she didn't seem to give much credence to that and suggested that someone's paralyzed they don't get O.N.E. it needs some load is that because she's just meaning that that can be it, it's it's necess- it's necessary not sufficient but how does she account for OA thumb in otherwise idle people, OA shoulder that we know occurs in, in obese smokers more than it does in, in, in otherwise well people, even builders that are using their shoulders more? That, for me, seemed like there's still so many questions around that where I think maybe for various reasons she's so into the, the mechanistic literature, even though her background is as a, a rheumatologist. That, for me, feels like a, another podcast either by us or others.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a couple of components to that. So um, the systemic effects, let's go there first. <clears throat> so from my understanding, what she's then, what she's saying is that they will um, further down regulate that restoration of the cartilage. So your, the, the adipokines and the increased systemic inflammation will reduce your body's ability to restore the cartilage. So you'll get a, a more of that disparity between turnover that makes sense i think i'm making sense the the um the non-weight-bearing joints is the way i'm currently justifying that in that there's not the high load it actually what she was saying fits to me better than purely um purely to do with systemic effects because if you think about the joints you just mentioned the um the shoulder um and the thumb i i will admit to not knowing very cmc biomechanics very well but to me they are inherently more unstable joints so you would you know with the shoulder you compare a shoulder range of motion compared to a knee there's vast difference between the ranges of motion and the style of motion of that joint and i think that actually what you're therefore getting is you're through the shoulder and your thumb you're not getting compressive load as much you're getting more shear. so now I don't want anybody to take this away as fact, please. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is literally how my brain is is going at the moment. And then if you then think about a lot of the, you know, I think about a lot of the things that Adam Meekins um, and Joe Gibson would treat the shoulder with and it's weight bearing load and you're getting compression into the joint. Um, and then we talk, I talked to Deb Stanton and, and um, it's all with the thumb. It's about appropriate exercise and load. And you can, if you do grip, in the wrong way, you can aggravate the joint, probably because of the way you're compressing or lack of compress of the joint. And I wonder whether those are actually factors that are leading to those, that's the load we're talking about in those joints. And if you imagine when, if I was to grip, the way that my thumb moves is sort of more lateral than it is in the knee, you'd get a more of a rotation. I wonder whether how, I wonder what impact that has. But again, that's literally me thinking just following my train of thought i don't i haven't seen any any um any research to do that to, to say
0: yeah yeah this is sort of an early hypothesis from you i mean it is as if we're just chewing it over jim isn't it as, as if as if we didn't plan this in any meaningful way and three minutes before we went live i sent you a link to try and bait you in now what that does mean is that i was planning on solo in this episode and therefore you've been able to give far more thoughtful analysis on this than i would but it also means that i made a little list of a few talking points of which we're going to cue me to just reflect on and, and, and ask the question so uh, here you are and, and i can't help but ask you but I'll also happily riff on it myself. Before I do, though, I want to just say that we've come on here today, and there's been clearly a software update on the software that we use for this show, and now I can't click these comments that you normally put them up on screen. I need to work (laughs) out how to use this thing again. So apologies to Rob, Fire, Katie, Napton, James Armstrong, and others that have posted some lovely comments that I would normally flash up on screen, but I can't seem to do that. Now, this chat overlay thing works. However, that weirdly doesn't seem to then bring on their comments so uh, look i'm sorry um, usually this is more interactive uh, i can read them but i can't share them i've
1: come on here wearing a shirt and you can't even get comments on the screen.
0: she have got a shirt and I've got a hoodie on. Uh, it really is that I feel so underdressed. Um, but and, and, and his immaculate hair always puts me to shame. James had said, really interesting to hear Jack March's thoughts. Uh, sorry, Jack March reflecting and voicing his thoughts and potentially changing his thinking. That's not something we've ever been averse to, but I suppose it is quite rare, isn't it? Especially something as confrontational to our thoughts as that is something that's fairly rare. It was fairly abrupt, wasn't it? I mean, we had a conversation, I don't think we cried, did we? But we could well have done, you know, it was quite startling. Um, But on that theme, I wanted to sort of ask, uh, and also I'll, I'll, I'll happily share first is for me, what this does is it really does change things in terms of policy or should change things in terms of policy, especially because many, We were always a bit cautious, I'd say, on this, I know that sounds like just a bit of a cop-out, but the idea that we kind of knew enough about OA, what it is, what it isn't, in order to therefore mandate certain service structures or to say that this should be triage. If they're not ready for surgery or interventional care, then this is something that they need to go into an escape pain style program that therefore doesn't need to be especially individualized barring a few variables. There is a cookie cutter approach. If ever there was one on pathology, OA is OA, and OA knee is OA knee, and therefore, this amount of sessions and the the, the sort of dosage was something that was then pitched to the mean and unlike patient centeredness across other more diverse conditions this is something that there are enough people enough similarities for it to probably work like that and so this is what we do with regards to diagnosis. This is what we do with regards to messaging. This is what we do with regards to imaging. This is how many sessions your service needs to be developed for. This is the type of group you need to train them in this, the therapist in this particular way. This is the banding of which you should deliver it. And this is the package of care cost price uh, for, uh, say, an NHS service or a private provider to deliver something like us, get paid that research i've always challenged as being something that was never pitched against a decent localized control group which is difficult so the pragmatic trials weren't necessarily against best practice other um and and in standard care versus that and i think maybe inflated those results but above all else on a policy level i like to think that this work that's been done and this podcast that you put out there at least gives us enough clue that this is still such a moving picture that anything dogmatic like that or anything that's too rigid that then sets the scene for that we could end up regressing by years by by needing a a revamp and a reform from that right if we don't keep give services enough freedom to manage things as we're describing and to consider these variables and we go down this it's, it's purely systemic if we can just get people moving and that we don't need to, to, to concentrate on focal loading. We're probably going to miss opportunities for somewhat interventional measures. I mean, I imagine it probably brings in uh, other biomechanical interventions, biomechanical interventions, but like altering someone's focal loading by way of say orthoses or stick use or a bracing, or you know, obviously a procedure was even mentioned, wasn't it, with regards to distraction. And imagine that there was, say, a brace that came out that was able to apply some degree of distraction, even modest compared to the surgical one. But that is a game changer. And if we end up creating services that have to comply within a narrow scope of the mean, then that's going to really set us back, isn't it? And and maybe we people perceive that that we've been championing a cookie cutter approach, which I don't think is fair. But um, that was something I wanted to sort of I was going to be. Riffing on. I just wonder what your thoughts are on on the implications on policy.
1: I think that as we stand at the minute, even with that podcast, the uh, ignoring the dogmatism, the the class-based approach for something like OANE probably at the moment is the right way to go. As long as the flexibility is in the system, that as soon as the research that we've talked about bears fruit that we can assess for and appropriately treat, those can be adjusted, right? And I suspect that what you'll get is you'll have you'll have subsets of patients with osteoarthritis. And this is what I think will happen. When you can measure shear force, you'll have some patients with osteoarthritis with a tiny amount of shear and they respond to a generalized exercise program because actually their problem is systemic, right? Then you'll have patients who have a huge amount of fear shear not sphere shear and they will respond to uh, biomechanical changing like bracing or um specific you know quadriceps strengthening let's say so they stabilize the knee or it might even be proprioceptive and i think and then they will get a mix in the middle right of where which will be make the bell curve there's no point putting those people that need that interventional medicine into a generalized exercise program so as long as there's the flexibility within the system to allow for those new emergent groups then we'll be okay we're a while away from that um, and i suspect most people will need a combination of those things and like you say i don't think that even if we could measure shear forces and see the subgroups within them i don't think bracing is at a point where it could control them sufficiently as you said the intervention that Um, Professor Vincent mentioned, I think that there is there is work it it seems to have shown this restoration of cartilage being quite significant but I think there's work to be done to say is that worth going through the procedure which was six weeks or I think of um, of this fixed it's an X fix essentially so your knee can't flex, can't bend, so you're going to get muscle wasting. If you, you can't drive, these patients are going to be younger end of the spectrum, so they won't be able to drive. A lot of them won't be able to go to work, fun- do their functional tasks, all these sorts of things. Well, is that offset? Is that going to be, for the what you gain out of that, is that going to be worth it? And I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Um,
0: and I don't... I hope, think... they've been doing, I hope they've been doing the repeat studies um, in lockdown. Because the social consequences will be far smaller now. Um, And so it would be really interesting to to have that because it's a kind of... But then similarly, that would cook the books in that direction, wouldn't it? Whereby the uh, deleterious effects are mitigated because of the Mm. social consequence we found ourselves in because of the pandemic. Therefore, that's not a fair test compared to in a couple
1: of years' time or, or beyond that. And we'd certainly need really long outcomes. Like, you know, if you were comparing... If you were comparing the number of people that ended up with a knee replacement for, let's say, that distraction um, X-Fix versus physiotherapy, you can imagine the number of people you would need in that study, and it's going to have to be 10, 15, 20 years as well. Mm. um, Duration. So I think we're a long way off that
0: sort of thing. It tickles me a little bit though, because right, in this moment, I think you're being the pragmatist and I'm being the guy that's obsessing over the mechanism of effect, which is usually a role reversal thing for us, isn't it? you just stickler for mechanism of effect. I love that stuff, but I'm also sort of like, what's that look like on the ground? So let me just try and play devil's advocate on some of the stuff you've said with regards to the groups and stuff. Is that I think... One of the big, this is, uh, this is that the mechanism of effect of those interventions is um, the fact that it's a good bang for your buck with regards to getting some strengthening, getting some social interaction, getting a move in, getting and building confidence, the psychosocial intervention of, of, of camaraderie that can occur there, as well as the fact that it starts to redress some, qualify them for exercise and starts to redress some, address some of the Um, systemic factors that we've talked about and potentially even give some behavioural interventions on smoking and obesity, etc. Right, fine. However, the psychological qualification for that engagement is often this perception that... It ain't for for surgery, and that would be quite significant. Often, I think, one of the motivating features that that occurs in departments there is a bit of scaremongering over major joint surgery. and Like, the people get carried away and infer that it kind of scares people away from knee replacements sometimes when they're even indicated. That's one of the things I found in advanced practice. It's kind of like, I get why you want to try and, you know, motivate someone who's got mild OA need to to not do that first line. If they've got a few weeks worth of symptoms and they think they're in for a knee replacement, that wouldn't be appropriate. Well, I'm willing to pay for it and stuff like that, where they're sort of forcing the hand and being a bit too rash. But there's often sort of a moderate OA, which is kind of on the fence for a a knee replacement. He's willing to give something a go, but he's then scared to death about something that is a really powerful and useful intervention in a knee replacement and got good outcomes. But what I'm getting at with this is that this is a sweet spot whereby someone's motivation for participation within a group thing like that is something that it, 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 they're into an awful lot of car, a lot awful lot of options, and I think that therefore what you were saying about groups is is something that kind of gets a bit disqualified by the fact that there are more. It does seem that there is more nuance to it. There's there's more individualised vari- variation that could be occurring, not because we can suddenly measure shear forces, but We've got proxies for that, haven't we? If someone's got a history of major ligament disruption or uh, meniscal uh, meniscal tearing, that that may well, and we can even sometimes visibly see or, or to some degree measure, if you fancy enough to have some sort of force plate or dynamic gait analysis or something that p- could potentially. You could conceive of well, they're going to get more shear force and torsion because look at the literal tibial. Let's say someone's had a complex orif for something in the past, right? And they, we can sort of conceive of the fact that they're getting shear forces for that. The fact that we used to lump them into groups was this utilitarian approach to it, which was justified by pooling them because the interve- We only use these blunt tools whereas actually if the more of the sharp tools the more individualized tools come forward then those group interventions shouldn't be as justified and i suppose that's why i worry about that being baked into the system but also something that justifies generic practice rather than person centered care for for a, a group of people that are all lumped into to category I don't, I don't know if there's anything you disagree with there
1: no i do agree and i <sighs> I think there's probably an argument to be made around the age of the patient that you're putting into those groups as well. And why have they developed osteoarthritis at an early age versus a later age? And once you get to, you know, 70, 75, 80, you can probably be more generic than than you can with someone who's 40 or 45. Because you, for for the one of a better phrase, they don't need to live with that joint for as long and actually if if you they, you send them to a uh, send them to a group and after six weeks it's not making any difference and they go for a knee replacement fine but if you if you've got someone who's 40 or 45 and you send them for a generic group and it doesn't work after six weeks and then you're sending them for a knee replacement that's a really different kettle of fish and um, that someone's then got to live with a knee replacement 40 45 50 years you that's very different and I think that that's an it's something that I certainly don't have an argument uh, an answer to but it's certainly something we need to consider and the variables you're discussing there are probably slightly more complicated versions of that as well so you know those people who have had a ligament disruption and are young what do they need to do the people that haven't had that but they've got a real genetic component so their dad had OA at 40 and now they've got OA at 40 What's the difference there? What do we need to do with them? Smokers, non-smokers, BMI, high B, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the where the difficulty comes is that you will get a decent, whatever we define that as, benefit from from the cookie cookie cutter approach because it will it will address a number of factors which we know are involved so then you get this problem we get with a lot of the research at the moment around various different things is when we then go to specifics how much better will the specifics be than the generic because we can't target the specifics well enough um and I think we're all noticed that you can really get ahead of the the get the a cart head of the horse if you try and be specific with things and then your research won't show any to inter- a good benefit over generic because you're not targeting specifics appropriately um so yeah
0: well, we could get we could get sucked into the whole stratification debate yeah, again yeah. um and that's not necessarily what i'm advocating for i know some people make a great case for it by the way so i'm not dismissing it but that's actually not where i end up um and i know it's not where you end up um, really on on this typical typically oh, it's the first time we've really got stuck into it on air at moment's notice uh, but I, I'm more I'm I kind of feel like I feel that water probably more than you because of IMSKr hat is that I see the fact that there are some local policies that are actually that would be re- would be really hard to turn that ship around right if 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 one to two triage style advanced practice assessments were then to, Triage people into group intervention of which they need to see a course through, and that it's only their their reaction to that intervention that qualifies them for surgery or not, or evaluation as to whether they failed care and stuff. That's the. It's too that's rigid. Not, that's a cookie cut, not of a section of a cohort or a locality. That is the. That's what we do for our way. Full stop. Regardless of your age, etc., and all the variables we've talked about, and that that's not something that could be like oh well we've we've learned from quality service evaluation and that was a mistake therefore we can walk it back quickly it's like well no that's probably inevitable and because of passionate advocacy and the fact that the um that intervention is being funded directly for a period of time as being best practice means that it's something that could then mean that the, that the services and the system wouldn't be versatile enough and that concerns me certainly as a as a taxpayer. Um, apologies for those of you that have participated in this. I have not been able to bring your comments up on screen and questions up on screen because the system's changed. And so I'll look into this and and have it ready for this tomorrow. Is the way you, this is why you don't take a week off
1: because then the technology changes and now you're behind. <laughs> Can't like, keep up. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I mean, that is hilarious that, yeah, on, on my week off, they've updated it and truly changed its functionality. Now, fortunately, though, I don't think this has changed. I think the ability for me to show pictures <laughs> of the Active Force 2, which is available for just £300 at physio-matters.com forward slash AF2, I think that, that that function seems to, <laughs> seems to remain. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're over time now. Thanks so much, mate, at a moment's notice. Um, and uh, and especially this, this needs to be something we continue to, to muse on. I know we need to produce some f- future material to help uh, our hyperventilating audience to some extent on this, because I can understand why it threw a lot of them off as it did us. And we're uh, probably a few weeks ahead of them on, on, on thinking about this. So uh, thanks for those of you that have contributed to the conversation so far. Let's keep it going and uh, certainly chewing it over on clinical topics. Like this is something that I want to make sure we do fairly regularly. So, um, and, and probably at a more than three minutes notice, if I do want you involved, mate. Yeah, that'd be ideal. All right. Take care. All right, um, so yeah, shield your ears, mate. oh, 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 oh